Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today we have an extraordinary guest who is the founder of Heritage Club, the first Black woman-owned dispensary in Boston. The Heritage Club also happens to be the first Black woman-owned dispensary in a major city on the East Coast. This makes it the first minority-owned dispensary to open in a majority white residential neighborhood. And as a social equity business and recipient of a social equity grant, the dispensary aims to promote justice and fairness within social policy and is actively working with its nonprofit to help those affected by the war on drugs. Today's guest is also the youngest dispensary owner in Boston and is transforming what diversity means in cannabis. And so without further ado, Nikki John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Awesome intro. That's like crazy hearing it back. I'm like, wow. We really did something, so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you put in the work, and first off, just congratulations. Um, I mean, what you set out to accomplish and create and build, it must be an incredible feeling to look back on it and say, "Wow, you know, it's it's been you know a little over a week now that that doors are finally open," and so that's just got to be an incredible feeling in and of itself. So, congratulations on the official grand opening. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's definitely a feeling like of relief brief relief and then like the oh my god how do we handle like people who are going to be coming so <laughs> yeah it's a lot that's amazing so nikki what um i would love to just kind of start from the beginning what was your career like uh before you got involved in the cannabis industry and the cannabis community and kind of what did that journey look like to get you to where you are here today with the heritage club yeah that's a good question because i feel like I'm not um, your typical cannabis user. I do use cannabis, but I'm not the person who you would think of as like, oh, I'm gonna always like ask Nikki if she has something mm -hmm. on her. And I feel like, well, now I am, but right. like I wasn't before. So learning about what products are like the best fit. And I tend to be more on the vapes and edibles side of things. Um, but going from what I wanted to do in college to becoming a realtor to now cannabis, all of these things kind of led me here and it started um, way back in terms of business from like my first lemonade stand, I always wanted to be selling That's something. So, cool. so that was just something that was with me since I was little. And I would like write little business plans in my journals. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but it's like always been kind of how I was. Um, but my mom's a doctor and I wanted to like be my mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was going to school as pre-med and realized I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. Um, so I told her, I was like, I think I'm going to drop out of school. And she said, no way. And I said, oh, shoot. Okay. So I ended up transferring to Northeastern, but I became a realtor that summer and started renting and selling houses in Boston, which I've been doing for like the past 10 mm -hmm. years. So that really helped me with like the networking, which kind of segued once my mom, my mom also was the one who suggested I get into the cannabis space. And I looked into the social justice aspect of it and understood why, because I was like, mom, like she got me with weed once in high school. I was like, that's it. Like that was the only time. <laughs> um, but I ended up looking into it and I realized the history of the war on drugs and how it's still kind of going on today and how I could make a difference and add diversity to this space. So that's, that's where it all like began. That's when I applied and brought all of that um, knowledge from having opened my own real estate business, I ended up transferring and going to school for finance, um, ran those lemonade stands, and now I'm here. <laughs> I love that. Uh, how long? So, like, I'm curious. How long was the did that transition take? Uh, going from a career in real estate to jumping over into the cannabis space was that sort of like a, all right, I'm going one foot in, one foot out, or were you kind of just like 
okay, I'm doing this. I'm just going to take a leap of faith and kind of see how it all plays out. Well, I definitely thought it was going to be like a leap and it was like going to just happen. But I found out that I needed to keep one foot in, one foot out. <laughs> so it took over three years from when I started to when we opened. So the first step was joining the social equity program in Massachusetts, the CCC, Cannabis Control Commission. Um, they have a program that's supposed to create opportunities for people impacted communities impacted by the war on drugs to participate in the legal industry. And I was like, perfect, a course. Like I was so used to courses coming from like a college background. I was like, great, um, <laughs> they'll teach me everything I need to know. And because it's such a new industry, like even they didn't know everything that we needed to know, but high level, it was a really good outline. And then the next year was just networking with other people already in the space, then finding a, a location. So coming from real estate, I thought I had a leg up and that I'd be able to immediately find a spot to open a, a shop. But you have to find a landlord that owns the building outright, isn't like afraid of a taboo sub subject, um, and isn't going to charge you green tax on the rent before you're even open. So that was all unexpected. So that's kind of how it ended up being one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. Would you say that was that was like one of the toughest challenges for you, which is funny, which is actually pretty interesting considering that really was kind of like, like your lane of expertise, real estate. And then you were like, probably in your mind, you're like, okay, cool. I'm not going to worry about that. I could easily find a spot and let me just worry about all this other stuff. And to me, it kind of sounds like that was almost like the most challenging aspect of getting everything up and running. Yeah. So that, that was like one year of the process, literally yeah. just finding a location um, and in an industry where you can't just get a loan. So in real estate, I can connect with financing very easily. And I had a network of like hard money lenders, um, mortgage lenders who were like, oh, I might know of someone who like has a lot of cash, but it's the kind of thing where you can't go to a bank. Right. So that's the other reason. So finding the location and then financing that, um, holding on to that property. Um, so through networking, I was able to find the location that we're in now. And my landlord was a huge godsend. They were willing to work with me without me paying rent that first year because it took two more years to open. So if I had paid rent from that first day, I would have been out over 200 plus thousand dollars, which that doesn't include any other startup costs. So the barrier to entry of like finance, finding a location, those are two of the biggest. And if you can like get through those, then you have the politics. Um, so that is like the politics by far the most difficult, like I think discouraging part, but got through it. Yeah, no, it's just, it, it's so unfortunate that there are so many hurdles to jump through. And a lot of these, and like you're a perfect example of this, right? Because you knew exactly how to go about doing something in a, traditional industry, right? Or a more mainstream accepted industry where, yeah, real estate, this is how it works. And then all of a sudden you jump into cannabis and very similar to banking, like you can't just go and necessarily bank cannabis money. You can't go out and get financing. You can't just simply go and find a property that you could utilize just with the snap of a finger. Um, and so it's just, it's incredible how some of the, the more common everyday aspects of running a business are just so much more intense and difficult and challenging to overcome in cannabis. Um, when, when you were going through everything, did you kind of say to yourself, like, wow, along this entire journey, like if I, if I never got into the cannabis industry, like I never would have learned X, Y, Z. Like, is there kind of like a little gem that you kind of maybe picked up along the way? 
Yeah, patience is the biggest one. <laughs> they say it's a virtue. I'm not known for being patient. Yeah, exactly. Like anybody, if you ask anybody, nobody would be like, Nikki John, she's so patient. Um, but I think I learned like, and I don't even know if I still am patient. I just know that when I want something, if I'm really clear about it, I'll work to get it. Um, but I think being patient with the process and understanding like the timeline, mm -hmm. I think if you're realistic about that, I think if I knew how long it would have taken from the beginning, I may not have done it. I think I always took every next step as if we were opening the next gotcha. day and which made me sound really crazy at the time. And I had to, like, I know in retrospect, like I had to do it. There's no other way for me personally to like mentally make it click. Um, but I think I learned a good amount of patience in terms of just like trusting that things will work out. But in a business aspect, I think getting clarity from city officials, from state officials, don't be afraid to ask questions. I know like they have like guidance documents and all of that, but like, don't be afraid to be specific and say, in my case, like, what do I specifically need to do? What help is available to me? I think that's like something where I asked lightly in the beginning, but now I'm very straightforward. I'm like, okay, what's available for diverse businesses trying to get into the city um, that you offer, whether it's cannabis or otherwise, and how do I talk to those people just to like learn more? So asking questions. Yeah. Ask a lot of them. Yeah. That's no, that's, that's great advice right there. And you met, you mentioned uh, like city officials and everybody around you in a sense. And so I'm curious, especially, especially regarding the communities and small businesses that are kind of already established and have made their footprint in the areas where dispensaries are now popping up. What, what kind of reactions were you experiencing maybe when you were like bumping into other business owners in the area or just having those networking conversations? What were their reactions to a cannabis dispensary opening up in the in the neighborhood? So there were some mixed reviews. I mean, from the like city officials, they were like, well, this is mandated. And at the community meetings, they were very clear with people that the majority of people in Boston voted to have mm -hmm. this. So we will have it in some capacity. But then there's the community members who are like, well, this is unsafe. This is gonna lower my property value. This is gonna like bring riffraff. Um, and I was moving into a community where I was going to be next to a bar that's open till 2 a.m. and a liquor store where they were littering nips all through the parking lot. And I was like, me being here will absolutely clean this up. But like, how do you say that respectfully to people and say that not only that, but like I personally care and will be personally making sure it stays mm -hmm. clean. Um, but there is a level of like compliance and security that I think should should help alleviate that like fear that people have. If you buy cigarettes, it just comes in like a clear wrapper. But if you buy cannabis, it's adult and childproof packaging. If you buy a beer, it's just a can opener or it's a can that you crack. But if you buy cannabis, like it's like the hardest thing to open. You could break a nail. And I feel like people are so, and like alcohol, um, people die from drinking too much, but nobody's died from cannabis. So it's like one of those things where you want to like scream a little bit, but you also have to be, they can't hear that. So you need to present in a way that's like good volume. <laughs> yeah, no, those are, those are all interesting points. I, so, so far, how has it been kind of being in between a liquor store and a bar? Because a lot of times we talk about some of the parallels and also some of the big differences between cannabis consumption, alcohol consumption, and also even like the, the culture and the lifestyle that's kind of associated with both. So I'm curious, just like from your take, from your staff's take, customers, maybe even like, how has it been? I know it's only been a week, but I'm just kind of curious, like what your, your feel on it has been. It's been unreal this first week. So there's like three things. So um, there's a lot of people coming in who want to replace alcohol and they're looking for something else. 
Um, and there are people who smoke cigarettes who want to replace that who are coming in, which I think has been really cool. And they're like, well, what do you think I could try? Like, I've never tried this before. Um, and I think that's like the most rewarding part for me because I was kind of on the newer end of learning about all of the different products myself. So I wanted an environment where people could come in and not be afraid to ask questions. And on day two, this girl came in and said, oh, I came back because my roommate told me you guys were approachable and I could actually ask, ask questions wow. here. This is my first time at a dispensary. And I was like, there's so many people who I know just want to try like a two milligram edible. Like that's what they want. They don't need five. I know I can't, I can barely handle five. Like I want like those people to come talk to me because yeah. like it's not, there's no weird questions here. Um, so I think people have been really curious and I think that's been really good. Um, but I think there are people who use both. So they might come here and then go grab dinner and a drink next door. And there's a good synergy in our, um, we're really all good neighbors. Everybody is super friendly. So it ended up being um, like, we're in a great location. I love everyone around. And the neighbors who at first were kind of opposed have come in and like, we're so glad you're here. And I'm like, well, as long as you're happy now, because I, I don't want to be like against the community. Yeah. So it's nice to kind of feel included. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so happy that the tables kind of turned and now they're coming to you and just kind of giving you a pat on the back and saying, hey, like, welcome. We're super happy with, with how it's turned out. And I, what you said about um, one of the customers who came back or her roommate came back because she found out how approachable um, you were and your team was and the Heritage Club just in general, it makes you think about how dispensaries have been traditionally set up and ran and operated and how they think that people want to come in and take a look at this overwhelming four or five page menu of all these different products and 36% THC, like all this crazy stuff. And I, I think now we're kind of coming to a point where people feel a little bit more comfortable, like you said, asking questions. And I think it's going to be important for us. And you've done a great job of this. And that's kind of like living proof. Um, people still have a lot of questions, even though for a lot of us, it's almost like, okay, it's legal now. It's a part of everyday life. For a lot of people, they may just be starting to feel comfortable enough to come up to you to ask and be open about it and say, hey, look, I'm trying it for the very first time, or I'm trying to cut back on this and transition over to this. Like, what do you suggest? And I think just being able to create environments where people feel comfortable and they don't feel overwhelmed um, and almost kind of like embarrassed that they don't know what each of these categories on like a 10 page spread menu uh is i think that's so important yeah we're really excited because um that was the idea we have a lot of color we have a lot it's a very homey warm vibe um and we have a consultation room so whether you're like a new user or not you could come in there to ask questions or you could nerd out with someone who knows a ton more than i do and just like really be like what's your favorite thing and we wanted to have that like space for people so you're not like at a pharmacy window or you're not just like right next to someone being like, Hey, like I can't sleep or I have anxiety. Like we're not medical, but we're here to listen. Um, the thing we're calling our, the thing that's really cool, I think is that we're calling our staff flight attendants instead of bud tenders. Cause the focus is on educating you how to, on how to get on and off your flight safely. Um, and we still will serve snacks and champagne and have the customer service, but it's less about like serving like a drink and getting fucked up. <laughs> totally. I love that. Actually. That's really cool. Um, and I, I also wanted to point out too, it's amazing how you're utilizing cannabis to promote justice and fairness within social policy. And when I think about that, we've come so far because not too long ago, if somebody were to say, oh, there's going to be a billboard driving down the main highway that advertises cannabis or a cannabis dispensary, 
most of us would be like, okay, that's absolutely insane, but uh, good luck with that dream. And now it's almost becoming just a normal part of everyday life and in a lot of these legal states. And so I was just curious, can you kind of like tell us a little bit about some of the initiatives that you and the Heritage Club are a part of and actively pursuing? Yeah, so we have a positive impact plan, which is a requirement of the state, but we decided to get really intentional with that. Um, one of the classes I took in college, kind of an aside, was impact investing. And it was this idea that how do you let people who are donating money know where their money goes? Um, if you donate to a school, is it buying a student books who couldn't afford them? Is it just going into a fund, kind of a black hole, and like hopefully getting used um, effectively or even correctly or how you were hoping it would be used? Um, so I kind of took something from that and decided we wanted to make sure that we were doing something that would help people build generational wealth. That's one of the exciting things about cannabis legalization is that it is a profitable business. Um, and that even if all of these people don't want to open a dispensary who are affected by the war on drugs, that I wanted to give people in those communities opportunities to still benefit from legalization. Um, so taking a bit from real estate, I noticed that a lot of my clients were a little shocked um, by the closing costs. Mm -hmm. The closing costs in Boston are about five to $10,000 for most um, homes, like I would say under the 700,000 range, which was which is still pretty high. That's a high purchase price for a lot of people. Um, so we're pledging $150,000 a year to help 10 to 15 people close on their first homes. We can't really do down payments because those are federally backed, but we can help with the closing costs. Um, and they can buy, it's a, for Boston residents buying anywhere in Massachusetts, Boston's also gotten expensive. So we want them to be able to afford something. And sometimes that means moving out of the city. Um, but it was really important that we would do something that wasn't just like education. There's a lot of um, courses on like how to get into the cannabis industry. And having battled my way into this industry, I think that there are other, I'd help them with any business. This may or may not be the one for them, whatever they're passionate about, but I thought housing was a great way to kind of pay it forward for them and their next generation. Yeah, I just got the chills actually when, when you brought that up. I think that's that's amazing. For for listeners who actually want to contribute, what is what is the best way for people to to either make a donation or contribution or or spread awareness about this? Definitely. So the Heritage Home Foundation is the name of the 501c3 that we're applying for. So we're waiting for 501c3 status, awesome. but I will put something in our link tree and on our website so that people can sign up to, um, as soon as we're set up to donate or um, maybe come speak, give advice. We're gonna be partnering with other nonprofits who specialize in like credit repair, first time homeowner like courses and things like that so that they can get the education along with the funds. Cause I always say, or people always say, you can teach a man to fish and he'll eat for life. But if you teach a man to fish who lives in the desert, he just knows how to fish. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I know. You know, So we want to bring them to water, make sure there's fish in the water, make it happen. Um, so it'd be great if people want to support. Yeah, that's amazing. And did that kind of just come naturally to you because of your background in real estate? Or did you and your team kind of sit down and just brainstorm? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, I thought um, like a lot of times the re it came to me through real estate. So a lot of the cities in Massachusetts have low-income housing programs. And you can buy a house um, if you're an income restricted. So say you made less than 80K, you might qualify for a low income home. But the issue is you're not ever allowed to rent that out. And if you ever talk to any real estate moguls, they didn't make their money just by selling the house. They held on to it. They rented it to tenants for years. And if you take that opportunity away from low income people, then they're not getting the benefits of owning. And so I wanted to give them an opportunity to have the same tools as all of the people that like I kind of have seen um, do really well. So that's kind of where that came that's from. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I, congratulations and kudos on that. That's just, that's unbelievable. And I think that's just going to make such such an incredible impact too, not just in the cannabis industry, but for people in general. And I think that's just going to bring such a positive spotlight onto the possibilities that can that can take place and the and the I guess you can you can call it economic development as well that cannabis can bring into communities that need extra tax revenue or just revenues in general or opportunities to create new jobs. Um, so this is just really shaping the narrative for what the future of cannabis should and probably will look like. But I just wanted to say kudos. That's amazing. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And I really do hope like that it doesn't have to be the same plan, but something where people are really like intentional, especially the businesses that are bigger and can afford it. Um, we have a, in the shop, we have a shelf space specifically for mission driven and diversity owned businesses, because I want to uplift and give them a platform. It's kind of like very hard to get press, as you know, like really hard to get um, marketing out there with all the different restrictions. And so wherever I can, I want to keep doing that, whether it's women owned, black owned, veteran like missions, veteran owned. And so it's been really cool choosing which products to carry. It's really, it's a weird industry because there's some really big players and they have good prices, but I really want to make sure that I spend my money when I'm purchasing on things that are going to pay it forward. So we've been able to do that with 25 to 30% of the menu and we hope to continue doing that. That's phenomenal. And I, I wanted to ask you too, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit before with um, with the flight attendants and kind of talking about the experience, but can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the brands that you're really proud to carry or just super excited to have on your shelves and also what the what's somebody who might be coming into the Heritage Club for their very first time, kind of what they can expect from that experience? Definitely. Um, I really love Freshly Baked. So that's a veteran-owned, minority-owned business out of Massachusetts. They make edibles. Um, and just their journey being one of the first of their kind in our state to open with product and brands like that is, they're all of these people who paved the way for me. It's like so cool to like now be, be able to like say like, these are my leaders and um, please support them. So that I'm really excited about. Um, and then there's another brand, Ration. And they specifically give back to veterans and they have a bunch of different programming that they do around that. And although they're not diversely owned, it's really cool and important to me to like highlight those businesses that you don't have to be black. You don't have to be a woman to like help people. Um, I feel like that I want to make sure is like something that we celebrate um, and thank people for and share. So that's been really cool. Um, and the experience when people come in is that you can actually like touch some of these packages. It's not just in a glass case. We want it to be interactive. We want you to talk to people. Um, we don't have any menus on the wall because I really believe that if you wanted to order online, you would have, but you came in to have a conversation and that will be like an honor for us to have with them. So we don't want to like take that away with tech. We do have iPads there for people who want to browse or place an order, but the goal is that you do speak to somebody when you're inside. Um, but we have pre-order too. So whatever works for people. That's awesome. Um... Yeah, Nikki, thank you so much just for taking the time to to talk today about all of this. I think I think what you're doing is really going to pave the way for a lot of future planning and just strategic execution uh, in the realm of cannabis dispensaries um, and especially social equity, diversity and making an impact, too. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from everything that you shared today. It's it, and it kind of it's funny because you even uh, mentioned the impact investing course that you took in college. I took a I took a course very similar to that, and it's unbelievable what can be done if it's done intentionally and it's executed with the right team, with the right processes in place, 
And yeah, congratulations on, on everything once again. And if people want to reach out to you and connect with you and learn a little bit more about the Heritage Club, what's the best way for them to do so? Yep. So they can check out our Instagram, which is Heritage Club THC, um, or go to our website, which is heritageclubthc.com. Um, and we have an info email, which is info at Heritage Club THC. And I'm happy to answer questions for anyone who's coming down the pike, who has questions about licensing, entrepreneurship, life, <laughs> <laughs> reach out. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me and um, sharing our story. Awesome. I love it. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.